welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. Today's conversation is with James Wilsden. He's a professor of research policy in the Department of Politics and a director of impact and engagement for the Faculty of Social Sciences at the University of Sheffield in the UK. He's been involved in numerous policy and think tank initiatives that you can see on his webpage. But of particular interest here is that he chaired an independent review of the role of metrics in the management of the UK's research system and published a final report in 2015 called The Metric Tide. More recently, he's also chaired an expert panel on next-generation metrics for the European Commission. In this conversation, we talk about his experiences working in both policy think tanks and in academia, about the increasing focus on research impact for academics, and how the UK has created some culture change around uh, producing impact. And he also discusses issues around metric-based systems of assessments for academics and calls on us not to indulge processes of evaluation that we know empirically are bad science. James, thanks very much for for taking the time today to chat. And one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you was your involvement in producing a report in the UK called The Metric Tide, and given metrics and all things quantification in academia is becoming more of a topic and has been mentioned in lots of previous chats. I just thought it'd be interesting to hear your perspective. But before we get to that, can you can you just give us a little bit um, of background where you're coming from? And sure, yeah, no, well, thanks for the chance to to speak. So I am a professor of research policy here at the University of Sheffield. So my area of of research focus is how science and research systems. Uh, are governed, the, the politics of science and research. Um, and then the other side of my role is as director of research and impact uh, for the Faculty of Social Sciences here. So, mm. you know, more of a, a, a management role across the, the social sciences here at Sheffield. So you're a social scientist? Yes. So I, so I, I, yeah, so I'm a social scientist. I sit in the Department of Politics mm-hmm. in, in departmental terms, um, but I'm a fairly interdisciplinary Right. Sort of social scientist. What did you do for your PhD? I did my PhD in, in sort of technology policy. So I'm sort of oh. more in, um, I guess my base discipline is more science and technology studies than it is anything. Mm. But, but I've worked mostly in the more applied realm of science policy, research policy over the last uh, 15 or more years. Um, and I've spent periods outside of academia. So I, for several years, was... Director of Science Policy for the Royal Society here in the you know the mm-hmm. National Academy of Science, yeah. like like, uh, and uh, and I worked in think tanks and various other things. So I'm one of these sort of boundary spanning. Right. So that's that's it. interesting. How did you make the decision to move from an academic context out and then back again? What were some of the factors involved in that decision making? Well, I, it was more the other way around. I kind of I, I spent more time out. In the first 10 years of my career in mm. policy jobs, mm. but I always kept at least a foot in. So nice. I did my PhD part time while I was working in a public policy think tank. 
and then I always had a succession of academic collaborations with mm. with colleagues who were you know in, inside the university system mm. uh, funded through the research mm. uh, council you know funding mm. routes here in the in the UK so uh, so I sort of had always kept a kind of foot in both camps yeah. so and when then did- when I got to a certain point I mean I did the job at the Royal Society for several years and then I decided at that point well I could stay now in you know public policy type mm. jobs going to government or, or I could go back into the university system proper and I decided at that point to go back in proper. Right. So when you were doing your PhD did you have in mind that that's where you might end up? No I wasn't I wasn't that uh, strategic or calculating yeah. I was I, I, I suppose I just always I mean I was in a think tank so I was doing research for a living mm. uh, but as with many of those kinds of jobs um, you know it's very easy to do them without maintaining uh, some involvement in in more formal academic systems and and, I mean even in terms of your research methods and how you approach research to sort of and I was always at the more sort of methodologically engaged end of the think tank market shall we say I mean think tanks are very obviously a very broad and amorphous set of organizations ranging from things that are that are you know thinly veiled front organizations for various political causes yes. good and bad through to organizations that are much more akin to university research centers in that they you know they've got a stronger empirical basis to what they're doing and, and, and you know a set mm. of sort of uh, core and, and, and perhaps a bit less political in a in a party political sense yeah. um so so in that environment i suppose i was more at the at the research yeah. university end of it anyway so it made that yeah. kind of movement a bit less uh, of a stretch than it might otherwise yeah. have been. And I think, I mean, certainly here in the UK system, because of the emphasis uh, on impact of university research, the the climate within which those sorts of bridging, brokering skills are, are valued mm. has, has changed quite dramatically mm. over the yeah. last five ten years and, and there's actually a lot more movement of people in and out of these kind of roles from different sectors because mm. of the, the the impact agenda as it yeah. you know, gets discussed yeah. in shorthand from your experience what was the big biggest difference in for, for work for you moving from the think tank sort of policy um side to the into the university side i th- well i mean lots of sort of practical Differences. I mean, in, in research terms, I think the biggest difference is, is pace and speed. Mm. In the in a think tank environment, you you have to be m- moving very fast to sort of keep up with the the changing mm. external policy environment. And obviously, I mean, in some settings, you do that in university research yeah. too. But in general, the the time scale of a classic, you know, two three year research project is very different to a three four month think tank project. Right. Um, so the working, project cycles so the were project much shorter, cycles and... shorter, and the uh, requirement in a think tank to be very responsive to user questions, mm. demands, mm. in good and bad ways, mm. is is more acute. So, I mean, the mm. good side of that is that you're doing research that definitely is speaking to. I mean, if if if, if the if the primary audience is a government audience, mm. you know, there's definitely a policy audience for what you're saying. The downside is that clearly you can be perhaps too swayed by the pressures of 
you know, the experiences of, of, yeah. of speaking to those audiences or securing funding from those bodies, government departments or, or you know, whichever kind of public bodies might be funding it or corporate bodies indeed. So, so you know, there are pros and cons uh, and it's, you know, that, all that stuff has to be navigated carefully. The, the, the strengths of the university environment clearly are that you're able to take a longer, deeper look at yeah. key questions that the funding, when you get it, when you get uh, it yes. <laughs> is, is good and, and can, can, can secure things for a longer mm. period. So, mm. you know, I don't, I mean, it, so, but it's very different. Mm. Uh, um, you know, I don't think necessarily one is better or one is worse, but, but they are different. Mm. Uh, so you can ask different research questions when you can, yeah, over a different frame and, and, and you, yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, and I think, I mean, the other big difference in terms of having a concern about the impact of research, um, in think tanks, you are just much more proximate and also in the National Academy mm. where I also, you know, I mean, you're very proximate to the, the, loci of power in a, in a given system. So, you know, in, in, I mean, if you work in a political think tank in London or you work in the Royal Society, the Royal Society, you're literally, I mean, I used, out of my office window, I used to have a view of Big Ben, you know, over <laughs> St. James's Park. So, you, you know, both, both, both sort of, you know, metaphorically and, 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 and materially, you're, you're yeah. very close to the, yeah. to, to the action. Yeah. Um, and, uh, th- you know, you've got a ready-made, uh, seat at the table in some ways as a think tank or, or as a body like the Royal Society in, in many key policy debates, mm. which is a huge opportunity. Uh, in a university setting, you know, you have to earn that seat at the table. It's harder. Uh, you can't sort of demand it mm-hmm. as a sort of institutional yeah. right. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, it can require a lot of effort to maintain and, sustain those networks of of influence and and, and so, the kind of so connections gonna... that, that mean that you know government decision makers whether they're officials or, yeah. or politicians are remotely interested in what you've got to say yeah so i was going to ask you a little bit about how you do that as an academic how do you mm. how do you now try to have impact so you you've mentioned networking and what's practically involved in that then and what well i mean so in my role in my my role here is, is actually try and help and support as many of our academics as possible in their impact activities. So mm-hmm. it's more facilitative. And in a sense, it's quite helpful having a, a rather more hybrid background in career terms yeah. of, of the kind I have. Because, you, you know, if you've just come up through the university system from PhD through, mm-hmm. uh, obviously there will be many people who've worked in government and done other things as well. But in general, you're not going to have quite as, as diverse uh, an exposure to those different settings in, in a policy sense. So it's quite that, helpful. Does so it's that like, go to credibility? Is that a credibility issue uh, or is it a network being b- Both. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a partly a network issue mm. in that you literally just do have, you know, if you spend 10 years working in and around Westminster mm. here in our system, as mm. the same if you're in Washington, in, you know, mm. or in you Brussels, you just, you know, people move around different yeah. jobs, different departments, you know, yeah. you just end up knowing how the place works and yeah. who, you know where the bodies are buried. As it were. Uh, so part of it's networks. Part of it is credibility that comes through accumulated experience and and, and being involved in in different debates. Uh, um, but I mean, a lot of what I do here for for for, for the faculty is just try and 
uh, work with and support a whole range of different academics at a whole range of different career stages. I mean, it can be early career academics who are dabbling in this stuff for the first yeah. time, or much more seasoned professors who who you know have their own well-established professional yeah. and policy uh, networks. I mean, it could even be commercial networks if it's work that's got a business uh, application. Although in the social sciences, you know, we have to have more policy-oriented stuff than we do commercial stuff. Um, uh, so you're just working with people to try and help strengthen their approach and learn lessons from different settings that can be applied. I mean, we also have a specific institutional uh, funding context for this here in the UK through the Research Excellence Framework, which now incorporates 20% of its mm. weighting uh towards impact related activities yeah. so you know you've got to generate a yeah. set of impact case studies for the next assessment cycle so in our case that's 2021 we're sitting here now in the summer of 2017 you know mm. it's three years or slightly more away the, the the drum beat is beginning and people are having to start thinking about their impact case studies and, and that's another more instrumental yeah focus for this sort of activity yeah. but we try not to be driven by that i mean i, I think i think ask about being driven by it yeah i mean it's a great i mean it, obviously there is a great industry of box ticking around the the, yeah. the ref yeah. here uh and uh, just as there is around the era in australia and similar yeah. exercises where they have them uh i mean we you know i would always say this is the start to any conversation about impact that you know the reason you should do impact is not for the ref it's because you know substantively you know we want our research to have make an impact difference. and yeah. make a difference yeah. in, in positive ways in the, yeah. in, in the wider world. So that should be the, the starting point. And obviously, mm. if you could do that in a way that then yields a case study down the road, well, that's great. Mm. But it shouldn't be the mm. starting point for having the impact. Mm. Uh, clearly, that doesn't always happen. And you do get people putting, you know, letting tails wag dogs or mm. put, putting carts before horses on this stuff. But our approach strategically as an institution should be to, you know, and, and certainly my personal approach would always be to start with the substance. Um, but that ref, just just for more context, so it was research assessment. Es- it's, it's the now it's called the research excellence framework. Excellence it used framework. to be the the research assessment That's exercise, right, so but it's gone maybe. through various. So that in that um, system in the UK system, universities have to submit. Documentation, paperwork, saying yes. So for impact, I mean, so importantly, it's it's a, it's an institutional assessment, not a uh, an assessment of individuals, yeah. uh, but it's done at a, at a at a disciplinary or departmental level. So uh, the university will put a submission in that will be composed of different subject based. Uh, uh, Submissions that go to different panels. So, I mean, so I'm in the politics department. There will be a mm-hmm. politics panel mm-hmm. of the ref, which will assess the research outputs over a six-seven year period of all of the politics departments in the yeah. country, and will score material accordingly. Sixty-five percent of the exercise is focused on outputs, papers, books, mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. research outputs. I and mean, if you're in the arts and stuff, obviously it could be performance or, or yeah. exhibitions. It doesn't have to be papers, but I mean. The primary unit would be the the journal article, yes. yeah. um, and then of the rest, fifteen uh, percent is about the research environment in your department, and twenty percent is based on impact. And we do impact here 
through narrative case studies. We're not we're not metricizing it to come mm-hmm. to where we mm-hmm. want to go in terms of metrics. It's it's narrative. So you're telling you know against a set of headings and criteria you're you're writing up the the, the account of the impact that your work has had uh, and obviously you need to corroborate that and, and demonstrate evidence for it. it not everyone is expected to have one it's not like every academic is expected to have an impact case study quite the opposite i mean it's a ratio of about about one case study to 10 people so, okay, so so they are at an institutional level there are some institutional yeah, yeah there's a kind of no, i mean there's a there's a, a ratio of staff to case studies but you're not it's not that every individual Mm. academic is being assessed on their outputs and their impact it's that the in my departmental case the politics department will be ranked on those things but the submission from the department will be made up of lots of individuals work yeah but it's not you know no one's you're not you're you yourself are not being Mm. assessed the one way in which it differs say from the australian model uh, is that there's real serious money attached to it so uh, for the 2014 ref, which was the last time we did mm-hmm. it, um, on the basis of that, around £10 billion worth of research funding is then allocated over the subsequent five, six year period to universities yeah. as um, core, a sort of block research grant that universities can then decide how to allocate strategically. So it's a, it's a sort of softer and more flexible and in some ways more strategic mm. pot of core research funding that's very valuable to institutions. But at what cost? Um, well, this is the debate, the, yeah, 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 the, whether, the, whether the audit... Some of the stories that you hear are about the huge amount of effort that goes into, you know, you just already said that you're already having an eye to the 2021 um, yeah. cycle and what sort of order of effort in collating and documenting and reporting that sort of meta effort relative to actually doing research or yes i mean this is obviously a huge debate that comes up here as it does in other countries where there is a similar Mm. research evaluation system Mm. uh it certainly is a considerable amount of effort we've just gone through a big review here a government review of the whole exercise led Mm. by lord stern nick stern um who's just stepped down as president of the british academy uh, and I mean, the conclusion generally was that the the, the exercise was uh, uh, working effectively and and was valuable to the sector, not least, well, at least primarily because it was a a trusted and uh, accepted mechanism on mm. both sides, on the government side, in yeah. terms of you know it provides the accountability for the allocation then of a quite substantial sum of yeah. public money, and then on the university side because although it's cumbersome and takes a lot of work we at least as a community govern and manage it so I mean, it's mm-hmm. academics who okay. sit primarily I mean, there's a few users as well but primarily it's a, you know it's a it's a sort of self-governed process uh and people complain about it but they mm. they don't sort of wildly object to the mm. results of it it's sort of it's it's trusted in that sense as a, as a process um i think you know a lot of the debate here rests on well, what's its purpose in terms of is it good value for money is it too expensive is it too cumbersome if it's narrow purpose is simply the allocation of that block grant mm. then clearly you could do it in lighter touch more yeah. automated ways you could yeah. even do it on a purely metric basis yeah. which would get you closer to some aspects of, of how it works in australia and elsewhere uh and this was one of the reasons we did the metric tide review, or at least we were asked to do it by the government, was to look for the ref as a specific exercise. Is there an easy 
algorithmic way mm. of doing it. Um, so, it, you know, if purely it's about allocating grant and ensuring that, you know, Oxford gets more or less the same share of available funding as it did last time and Sheffield gets mm. a bit less than Oxford, but more mm. than, mm. you know, whichever other university down the road, then, then, then you could do it that way. But, you know, the ref as it's evolved and, you know, we've been through, you know, successive cycles since the mid eighties of this exercise, uh, has come to take on a lot of other purposes in the system. Um, so when it has that allocation purpose, mm -hmm. it has that accountability mechanism mm -hmm. function with mm -hmm. government, which is very important yeah. as a second function. It has a sort of benchmarking function. So mm -hmm. as I say, all the politics departments, to take my specific example, go in. Yeah. Uh, in REF 2014, politics at Sheffield came third of all the politics departments in the country. That is a valuable piece of bent and that's a that's a, a yeah. far more rigorous exercise than you know your average league table you know the times higher or the Shanghai yeah. Tong, whatever yeah. a lot more work's gone into actually yeah. uh, um, and so that's a useful piece of benchmarking data both in terms of of you know management of the university management of the department in terms of attracting students in terms of attracting academics in terms mm. of, of uh, and then I mean the the other two or three purposes that have accumulated around the ref are uh, fourthly it's used increasingly as a mechanism of driving culture and behavior change through the university system so because everyone's in it mm. everyone wants to be in it mm. it's actually the best way to effect wholesale change in research cultures now there's good and bad to that yeah. clearly just, you know you could say is sort of like to, to encouraging give, people to publish well, yeah, so, so exactly. So if, if we go back to the origins of the, now what's now the REF, earlier was the RE, even had an earlier name than that, we won't go into mists of time, but in the mid-80s when Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister, uh, and I was still a teenager, so <laughs> uh, I wasn't directly involved, but, uh, you know, part of the driver for it was improving productivity it was you know she and some of her mm -hmm. ministerial colleagues were concerned that, that that you know the university sector was was not productive enough you know people were just sort of sitting around in ivory towers okay. and not yes. doing any work smoking pipes yeah exactly you know so 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 now whether or not that was true but so productivity was a big driver originally and it, and, and it did have a pronounced effect and you mm. still see that in on most productivity metrics, certainly on sort of pounds in, papers out, mm. the UK actually has the most productive research system in the world, even more than the US. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's no doubt that that's in part driven by the ref. Now, many people might say, well, it's gone too far, you know, down that road, etc. But that's a debate for another day. But certainly productivity was part of it. But in terms of behaviour change, the introduction in 2014 of impact yeah. as a focus alongside outputs and environment in the exercise has had a massive cultural effect on the research system. And it was grumbled about by lots of people and, and people were a bit resistant at the point of its introduction in 2007-8. But I think most people sitting now in 2017, mm -hmm. so you know, 10 years mm -hmm. on, uh, would uh, agree, well, not everyone, but a lot of people would agree that, that it's had a lot of positive effects in terms of uh, a... Um, creating a, 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 an incentive structure and a, 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 an economy in a way around mm. impact-related activities, mm -hmm. which uh, 
as we said earlier, should not be the driving force behind impact. The reason you do impact should not be to get your bit of ref money. But in the prosaic realities of institutions and resource mm. competition and all the mm. factors that drive the management of universities as, as they do any organisation, the same in public sector or in the private sector, inevitably, if you place a, a, a value on a set of activities yes. in the system, yeah. that creates a set of incentives. Head, yeah. And, yeah. And, it, and it's actually enabled universities to take a much more strategic and professional approach to impact it's actually enabled us also, and this comes to your points about metrics and careers, it's actually, I would argue, uh, enabled us to be much more supportive of a more diverse set of career pathways mm. through the system, in that if you're in a system that only values outputs, if it's all about journal articles, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, say the Chinese, I mean, I have to work on the science system in China, so I mean, China's mm. a very good example mm. of where, you know, huge government down and institution down pressure on people to publish, publish in volume and now publish in the right places. Yeah, so, and, you know, big yeah, cash bonuses. If you get a paper yeah. into Nature or Science, you know, yeah. you will personally profit. You know, you'll get a whopping great boost in your salary. You know, so, so it's a very, very, and, and I mean, you know, you can understand why in terms of where China's research performance was and where it wants to mm. go, why it's making those mm. incentives. But I mean, it's also huge problems as yeah. we've seen in terms of, you know, research integrity and, yes. uh, yeah, and, and yeah. also just volume issues. Uh, in the British system, we've had that focus on outputs over 30 years with, with, you know, many good and some less good outcomes. Now we have a focus on impact that's still relatively young as a, mm. as a, as a, an explicit mm. emphasis in the evaluation process. I think it's by and large being a, been a good thing because it's, it's enabled us to take it more seriously. You can sit and have a discussion. I mean, we've just been through the round of, annual appraisals we do at the yes. end of the academic unit. So yeah. I do, you know, I can sit and do appraisals with, with staff at all, you know, early career level or at professorial level. Mm. And, you know, there'll come a point in the discussion where we say, so, you know, let's just talk about your impact, you know, what work you're doing that might, mm. you know, you're doing already that's having and, and it's a, it's part of the mix of what makes a, so you've got your research, you've got your yeah. teaching, you've got your impact. And I think yeah. that's a good thing personally, as so someone you, who wants, get- as someone, A, who believes, Good research, not always, but very often will have impact, and, yeah. and B, that you know we should be trying to have impact. Where and especially we can. in your area as well. Well, especially given yeah, the very I mean, in, 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 a, in, in social is, sciences. It's, I mean, I, I also totally accept that there are areas of research where those impacts are are much longer term and, yeah. le- and more. Dif- you know, I mean, if yeah. you're working in particle physics, yeah. you know, you're not going to be going and you know giving evidence to a parliamentary select committee mm. next week about. You know the Higgs boson. I mean, it's, I mean you, you know, other than in the argue, maybe an argument about funding for particle mm. physics, but yes. it, you know, so it's, I'm not saying that all research. And to come back again to the ref, remember, it's only one in ten academics, but yeah. it does mean that for those academics who value that as part of the portfolio of what they do, there is now a system and a structure in place to uh, support them in doing mm. it, support them to do it better, and to reward them when they do it well. And alongside I, all the things that are there yeah. already in the system to reward them And I for, guess if there's not a, an, an individual focus on that, it does allow people who don't want to do that as much or don't... Well, yeah. I mean, I, mean, in, I mean, so one of the other good consequences of the REF having impact in 2014 is that we now have a body of case studies from the exercise last time, and they're all in a searchable database that the Higher Education Funding Council for England has hosts it's a very good website mm. you can search by 
topic, by discipline, by institution. You know, you can pull the data out in all sorts of ways. It, and there's 7,000 of them, so there's a lot of them. Uh, so it's a great resource in terms of understanding you know, the range mm. of impacts that research mm. has. It's not all the impacts, because, of course, not all of them are written in cases, but it's a, a good slice of some of the better ones. Mm. And, uh, um, it, you know, it means we can uh, be much more strategic in our understanding of how impacts arise, in what conditions, in what... And, and a few things fall out of the 2014 case studies. One is that most impact case studies... 70% or more, I think 75%, were based on some kind of multi or interdisciplinary research. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, pure monodisciplinary research I mean, can yield yeah. good impacts, but, but by and large, the case studies came from combinations. And very often they're, they're collaborative. So, you know, I often say this impacts a team sport. It's mm. not a, you know, so it's not about bigging up, I'm so fantastic, look at my amazing. You know, it's often very much about telling the story of how a group of researchers, possibly spanning mm. departments or different faculties, have worked together to, you know, do a set of activities that have either engaged with business in this way and been, or been used in mm. policy or civil society, engagement with NGOs, whatever it is. So, is the funding that's available to support research in the UK reflecting that interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary emphasis as well, or is the funding here? Still, largely within disciplinary areas, either in terms of the well, we're 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 on the them. cusp of the biggest shake-up in the research funding system here in the UK for for certainly thirty and arguably fifty years. Uh, we have had since um, well, in in many respects, since the mid nineteen sixties, and in its current form, certainly since the the early nineteen nineties, a set of discipline-based research councils. Mm. We have seven currently. Yeah. Uh, so you know, have the biological sciences research council, yeah. the engineering physical sciences research council, economic and social yeah. research council doing social science, arts and humanities, etc. Uh, all of those are about to be drawn in under the umbrella of a new mega funding agency called UK Research and Innovation, which uh, formally comes into being on the first of April. 2018, but the legislation to create it mm. uh, was passed through Parliament just before the election that we just had here in in June. So yeah. it was passed at the end of May, yeah. basically. So it's a very one of the last things that Parliament did before it dissolved. So uh, this is quite big news. Those existing councils will still exist as as kind of committees under that new body, but part of the rationale for pulling it all under one roof is to better support and enable cross-disciplinary and interdisciplinary work of various kinds. That's part of the rationale. Yeah. I mean, how well it delivers it is, yeah, you know, obviously I'm the sure things... there'll be teething problems There'll be, you know, well, it's a new institution, but that's, that's the ambition. Right. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, so so that's a big, big shift. I mean, really big shift. Yeah. It's the biggest institutional shake-up, as I say, you know, in, in, our, uh, in our lifetimes. Uh, the other things that have happened alongside that, which have further incentivized uh, greater interdisciplinarity are firstly uh, well we've, we've got these two big new strategic funding sources in the system that will be administered under this new mm-hmm. UK research and innovation UKRI uh, the first of those is called the Global Challenges Research Fund and this is money that's coming from the international aid budget here mm-hmm. so it's coming out of Department for International Development not from the Ministry for 
you know, innovation yeah. and science. Uh, it's one and a half billion pounds. So it's quite a substantial pot of money to be spent over a four or five year period. And the focus there is on research because it's development mm. money. It ha it's research that has to be relevant to the development challenges and needs of, of uh, the developing world. So uh, the research should be done in collaboration with partners in eligible countries right. that are... Right. Uh, but also almost by definition because it's starting not from I'm a physicist doing physics research or I'm a politics I'm a political scientist doing yeah. politics research yeah. but from you know well how the are problem. how you know how is a you know how is Tanzania dealing with yeah. the twin challenges of yeah. malnutrition in one yeah. area and, and you know the rise of obesity and non-communicable disease in another you know you're starting with the problems and they by their nature obviously tend to be inter or transdisciplinary in their in their formulation people aren't sitting there saying well what's the physics I mean that's great that's really so, where impact is yeah so the impact we see from that funding which mm. we'll see obviously the impact will come later I mean the, mm. so the funding the first couple of years of funding mm. for this have just now uh, it's also got going in the last 18 24 months mm. The impacts that we get down the line from that will be very interesting because they'll be much more global in there. I mean, there were even in REF 2014, there was an incredible array of international impacts already, yeah. but we'll get even more because the funding system has got more yeah. international. Yeah, deliberate about yeah. doing... Uh, so there's that. And the other fund, just to go back, the other big strategic fund yeah. is around industrial strategy. Mm. And this is more, I suppose, in some ways more traditional terrain in that a lot of countries are, are better at pump priming uh, commercialization of various kinds. I mean, we in the UK have compared, say, to the German system or a few others, have not been as good at that translational funding, perhaps, mm. as as, as uh, we could have been. Although, I, my experience, you find every country laments mm. its failure to do this. <laughs> it's so universal. Everyone's always looking elsewhere yeah. where it's notionally done, but we always look to the Germans as doing it well. Uh, so we haven't had as much. So there's this big new industrial, and this is five billion pounds, four point seven billion pounds, towards research that is going to have a, a more immediate commercial. So there, the uh, global challenge is the key is having partners yeah. in the developing world. Yeah. Industrial strategy, the key yeah. is having partners in industry. Um, but again, the impact element of it is clearly yeah. front and center because here you're yeah. in the former, you're having impact on social, environmental. Yeah economic development challenges in the latter you're having an impact on commercial yeah. imperatives you know of, it's of also kinds. opening up new career paths for people as well isn't it because another um, incidental impact is you're growing people with different skill sets you're growing people who are learning how to work at these intersections and becoming Absolutely. a new breed yeah of yeah yeah research. i I, uh, I often talk about this, this sort of new breed of brokers and boundary spanners yeah. that they're that the system now demands yeah. and it's placing a premium on a skill yeah. set that uh, is not the traditional academic skill set. Uh, and obviously that's having its own effect on how we think about doctoral training, yes. how we think about early career research. Yes. But you also know, the REF, if you're one of these people who become boundary spanning, how do you fit your work just to the politics? Panel? Well, that is an yeah. interesting, yeah, that is a very interesting question. So, I mean, there is an inbuilt tension in the system over time in that if you push the whole system more towards interdisciplinary work mm. you know should you then come back and evaluate people in the politics department in the politics panel mm. of course it's retrospective so in a sense in 2021 we'll be assessing the research 
that's been done over the period the old, 2014, 2020. Yeah, yeah, so it, this really is a question for yeah. the ref in 2027 yeah. or whatever the one that's will be after. That's a scary thought. But I mean, it does. I mean, people like me who think about these systems mm. as systems, mm. you know, have already, I mean, I, you know, I've written about this that I think, you know, now is the time to start thinking about yeah. exactly this, what yeah. you're talking about. You know, if you push all the incentives in the system, towards new ways of working how do we design an assessment system yes. in 10 years time yeah. that best yeah because the incentives as you said before incentives drive behavior exactly. and, and how do we have complementary incentive systems to do that yeah indeed so these are these are these are very good question yeah. we haven't i mean the yeah. short answer is we we, we, we haven't yet know. worked that mm. out as the mm. uk system but mm. but you know it's on the agenda mm. and i mean it's you know i mean one you know there are two schools of thought on this new mega UKRI mm. funding because all the ref money also sits under this new thing. One school of thought says, "Oh God, it's terrible because it's you know a massive monolithic thing yeah. and it's going to control everything." Yeah. And there clearly is the potential in the structures for that you know scenario to to play out yeah. where it becomes much yeah. more um, where you know you you basically inhibit or, or, or restrict the, the the amount of diversity in the system, oh, yes. the sense of diversity of funding yep. mode, and that's bad because one yes. thing we do know about funding systems. Empirically, ecosystems in general. Well, indeed, yeah. But I mean, you know, that that's a that's mm. there are a few iron laws mm. in research funding, but one of them mm. is diversity is a good yeah. thing. Uh, so that's a clear negative possible scenario. The positive is it, you know, under that big strategic umbrella, it actually allows us to be more strategic and long term yeah. and allow a bit yeah. more collective intelligence yeah. to arise. Now, I mean, I'm still, you know, I have days where I worry about the former scenario more, but uh, by and large, I think the the you know, especially at this moment where it yet, mm. isn't yet even up and running, we mm. have to be focused on the second of those, the, the more positive of those yeah. scenarios and trying to bring that about. Yeah, so a lot of stuff I've been writing about recently has been on this this very question yeah. of how we make yeah. the most of these new structures. Yeah. So just going back to the metric. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So how are we doing for time? What, well, what, tend to, yeah. what, um, what are the metrics? What, what are the issues that you're seeing around metrics? Because they're sort of tied in with all of these initiatives. As well, yes. Yeah, so so the, the metric tied was a review commissioned by the minister. Uh, he asked us, uh, the, minister, the minister of science at the time, asked us to go away and do an independent review of the role of metrics in the management of the UK research system. Mm. Uh, so a big part of that was, as I said earlier, about this exercise, about mm. the REF, because that's one very obvious part of the system where you could go heavily to a metric based evaluation currently the ref in those panels as we discussed uh evaluates stuff by peer review so all the stuff goes in and then these panels sit and assess it over a year-long period mm. so it's quite it's a big this is it is labor intensive mm. uh, and there's a lot of arguments about how well and badly it works but it is peer review is the dominant methodology yep. Uh, in some panels, you can still draw in citation data as a support to that yeah. peer review, but you do, you know, it's, it's not metric driven, it's peer review driven and mm. metrics may play a supportive role. So we looked at the whole system, uh, for the ref, but our, the group that, that I had working with me, I had a fantastic committee that we set up, some great people on it, mix of scientists, social scientists and other, other and I'll put a link to this. On yeah, the, yeah, on yeah. So, so, yeah. Yeah, so it was a great process. I mean, as a process, it was good. And we spent a long, you know, spent a year and a bit working on it. A huge amount of consultation through yeah. the community, lots of workshops, lots of, you know, calls for evidence and submissions of various kinds. So it was a big, big process. But our conclusion was that in the uh, narrow context of the REF, that there were more negatives 
associated with going hard to a metric-based yeah. system than there were positives, in that, yes, you might remove some of the burden of running the exercise, but in doing so, you would actually choke off a lot of what was good about the ref. Uh, so to give a few examples of where the problems were, I think we can all imagine the automated mm. version where mm. we ask Elsevier to do mm. the exercise for us mm. at the touch of a button. Uh, the, the negatives of going down that road route are firstly in the current ref it allows for a whole diversity of different outputs so journal articles are part of it as i said but you could mm. still also put in books uh and if you're in more uh you know art-based yeah. other you know some some yeah. humanities disciplines where you've got a range of other research outputs they could all go in and they could be evaluated and, and there wasn't any yeah. sense of a hierarchy that a journal article is a priori better thing than a book uh and of course with metrics, as we know, I mean, they, the normal bibliometrics tend only to cover well journal articles. They yeah. don't cover well these other outputs. Yeah. So that, 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 that's one very obvious reason. In my own area, in politics, uh, around a quarter of the outputs that were assessed uh, in REF 2014 were books and monographs because people, you know, as is that's the case in, in lots of yes, humanities and social sciences, people... That's valued in your discipline. Y- yeah, yeah, that's yeah. very common. And, yeah. uh, and, and of course, you don't get good metrics for those. So, mm-hmm. so there'd be a big... That's one reason... We had concerns over the equality diversity consequences uh, in that, you know, there's again a good body of work on, um, you know, the gendered nature of citation practices. Mm-hmm. Of course, yep. it's a bit subject and yep. discipline specific um, about what it would do in terms of early career versus more you yeah. know, mid-career, late-career people. So the whole set of things there that we were worried about, I mean, they, they, they are surmountable in some ways, but they've got to be thought about quite carefully. Um and uh, we were nervous about the, the, the switch to a sort of more algorithmic solution. Mm. Um, and then also, if we go back to impact, as we've discussed, being this whole new area of the REF, mm. if that's 20% of the exercise, currently we're recording impact through narrative case studies. That's not convertible to a metric Number, formula. Yeah. We have now got a whole range of new metrics for impact, so-called alt metrics yeah. that, that go beyond citations but capture mm. other things, you know, social media, all sorts of things. Some of those are very interesting and fun to work with and, and good, you know, I'm a great supporter of experimentation mm. with these things. But then, you know, none of them in our view were yet at a point where you'd want to base a, a massive national funding yeah. exercise around them. Yeah. And if you did, you'd unleash all sorts of perverse behavioural consequences. Mm. So you know, if you suddenly start allocating funding the basis of how many, yeah. many times someone's research is talked about on Facebook or Twitter, you'd have sort of... You'd, <laughs> you'd have you know, your Twitter bots start Twitter bots to... working 24-7, so, Which you is know, always that thing about people can manipulate well, any Indeed, and this was another... So, 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 so in the narrow context of the ref, we said, no, but I mean, very importantly, I won't talk too long about this, I mean, very importantly, we interpreted our mission not simply to look at the ref, but to actually look at the whole way in which metrics yeah. are being used in the university and research yeah. system. And in that broader sense, and this is reflected in the title of the metric tie, we expressed serious concern about... Uh, you know, that rising pressure of, of uh, you know, quantification and, and yes. audit uh, yep. uh, on uh, academic culture, academic life. Um, and a lot of the report is about how we try and manage that sensibly. We certainly weren't suggesting or pretending that one could switch all this stuff off and Not. wish it away. But we did argue that there is scope to govern and manage the systems of measurement that we have in place much more uh, sensibly and intelligently and humanely in terms of their effects. Um, and a lot of that is about 
being responsible in the way you design and use metrics. You know, the metrics mm. themselves are not. Mm. This again comes back to science technology studies. I mean, the, mm. you know, the tech, I mean, metrics are a technology in a yes. sense. I mean, they're not. Yeah. There's nothing intrinsically good or evil in that. And a, they're constructed. A, but it's all about how they use, how they're applied, yeah. what, what. And and so we came up with this set of sort of principles and way for how metrics should be used yeah. at all, whether you're a funder yeah. or a university manager or or, a, or, a, or an individual academic. And this was things like diversity of of indicators. So, you know, in general, a lot of the problems arise when you overemphasize mm. something like the journal impact mm. factor or, or if it's in a CV context, someone's H index, you know, over, yeah. you know, that's where you get real problems. If you're taking a much broader portfolio of that indicators. That happens a lot, though. Yeah, so yeah, do, yeah, yeah do, it's a do terrible problem. Do you have any problem. stories about the ways in which people may have changed practices because of these recommendations? Because uh, people yeah, do I mean, put an emphasis on numbers. They're seductive. Yeah. No, I mean, like, yeah, it's horrendous. I mean, we and we 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 asked for examples mm. from the community of, mm. of horrific practices, and, and I got a great big inbox full of them. So yeah, there's terrible problems. I think. There is more awareness of this now than there was uh, two, three, four years ago. Not just because of our review, although that was, you know, a, a prominent look at it in the UK system. But yes. you've had a succession of other, you know, in a sense there was a sort of growing chorus of voices that we were trying to contribute to, that was, uh, uh, you know, gathering in in volume and intensity at an international level. So this is things like the San Francisco Declaration on Research Assessment, which came out. In uh, 2012, 2013, pushing very hard against particularly the emphasis on, on journal impact factors and particularly their use in the evaluation of individuals' mm-hmm. work. Yes. Uh, you then had things like the Leiden Manifesto for Research Evaluation, which was very closely aligned with what we were doing. Mm-hmm. In the, Paul Vouters from Leiden University mm-hmm. was on my group and obviously one of the authors of the Leiden Manifesto. So, uh, uh, so there's been a few different, different things that, that have, mm-hmm. have been published at the international level. And I think that has heightened awareness. Certainly we're seeing here in the UK a growing number of universities as institutions adopting policies and statements of, mm-hmm. of, of good practice with respect to how they will use, uh, Bibliometrics and altmetrics yeah. in in their own management in practices, or promoting yeah. and, and obviously we did have a material effect on the design of the ref. In that our recommendations not to go for a metric ref were accepted Good. and then endorsed yeah. by the government. Yeah. So, in that particular quite hard edged mm. debate, where it could have gone the other way, I mean, I had a very difficult meeting at one point with the minister, new minister, because the minister had changed by this point. As often happens with these things, you start with one, you persuade them, and then mm. the bloody. <laughs> reshuffle and start all over again. So, 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 <laughs> one very difficult moment where it looked like they just decided to completely ignore everything we said and go for an all metric solution, and uh, and we clawed it back from that and and won the argument in that particular context. Right. So, I mean, that's a definite concrete. So effect. What do you do for your own CV as a as a concrete effect from your knowledge of metrics and how to present your own academic persona in your CV? How do you? Well, I would never. I would never use journal impact factors or H indices in my. uh, And I, I look very badly on that when I am in. I mean, obviously, I sit on a lot of interview panels as we all do. As you know, in 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 you know university management, I'm I'm uh, you know I I frown on. Yeah, I mean, you can't help it. Obviously, sometimes put people put this in their CV. Mm. I mean, Mm. uh, you'd have to be very hard-edged to completely rip their CV up and refuse to consider them as. But I, I, I don't. If someone brought it up in a panel while I was on it, I would be on them like a. Right, so you wouldn't be using it at all as any sort of filtering mechanism 
to cut down your applicant pool from 30 to the five you want to interview? No, because I think there are better ways of doing it. I mean, it is difficult. I accept completely that if you're confronted with, you know, 400 CVs applying for a job and, you know, you clearly can't read all of their papers. But I think, you know, I I, I think to simply look and say, oh, well, they've published in Cell, therefore they're better than this person who's published is, yeah. is the worst kind of sloppy yeah. practice. And we know that it's statistically illiterate in terms of, I mean, we yeah. know, you know, I mean, it's, it's not, this is not a woolly social science argument because I'm a lefty who doesn't want to count yeah. with numbers. It's quite the opposite. I mean, you know, the people who are hardest on this are people who actually, are, you know, friends of mine who are statisticians who mm. go through the roof when you, you know. So, I mean, there's a very hard-edged reason why this is bad practice. And uh, I think it's incumbent on us to not indulge you know, processes of evaluation that we, you know, know yeah. empirically as well yeah. as uh, so normatively are, are bad, are bad, yeah. bad science. I mean, yeah. they're bad management science yeah. as well as bad science. So, so I, I, yeah. I, you know, now I mean, of course, people make judgments and use short. You know, we're human beings. There are all sorts of signifiers we use, mm. and academia is mm. full of those subtle signifiers that help. People determine who is and who isn't, and who isn't. But I think all we can do, in, you know, if you're on an interview panel or you're, or, you're, or you're evaluating stuff at a departmental level, is just try and be very conscious of what you're doing. Be quite reflexive about. Yeah. And 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 as I say, do stamp out. Yeah. Explicit bad practice. Great. Uh, and I don't. I mean, I certainly haven't here experienced resistance to that. You know, people mm. by and large. Yeah, I think when you present sort of the scientific angle of it, you know, we we should be practicing what we preach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my friends who are, you know, the hardcore scientists who get most, you know, who who really looked at this and realised how utter bullshit it is. Great. So that's a great note to end on. So thank you very much for your time and hopefully. Um, it will make us all a little bit more reflective when we're dealing with and thinking about these sort of numbers and look at the people and the work underneath it all. So thank thank you. you. Thank you. You can find the summary notes and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes and now also on Stitcher. And you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues so that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently.